ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 27 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn about offers, promotions, and more at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. I did not talk much about the National in the the weeks and months leading up, and that's probably because I wasn't going to be going this year. And there were plenty of other podcasts out there and other content creators out there who were talking about the National, how excited they were, what was going to be happening. That's just not something that I covered a lot. But because I didn't cover it beforehand. Doesn't mean that I'm not interested about how it went, what the vibe was like, and what all went down at the National. And so this episode, I wanted to bring on somebody who was at the National pretty much the entire week and can talk about what the vibe was like, what was was going on there, what he found, and, and just give us that perspective firsthand of what the National was like this year. And so I invited John Newman on. John is one of my friends. John is a content creator who does the Sports Card Nation podcast, Hobby Quick Hits. He's part of the Hobby Hotline crew, and he's got his finger on the pulse of what's going on in the hobby, lots of connections. And so I wanted to bring John on today to talk about what the National was like from his perspective. But before we do that, I'm going to tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors that breaks new product almost seven days a week across YouTube, Facebook, and Loop. You can also visit them at their brick-and-mortar shop in Knoxville, Tennessee to see their full selection of wax, singles, and supplies. So check them out at udogcollect.com to see what they're going to be breaking and when they're going to be breaking. And if you're also interested in submitting to SGC, they are an approved group submitter with SGC, and you can learn more about that at udogcollect.com as well. When you check them out, make sure you tell them that Wax Pack Hero sent you. Well, today I want to welcome Mr. Newman, John Newman, back to the show. It's been a little while since we last chatted for the show, but John was at the National last week. And since I didn't get a chance to go, I wanted to hear from somebody firsthand what things were like at the show. A lot of people had some preconceived notions about what the show was going to be like this year, what attendance was going to be like, what the attitudes and perceptions were going to be like. And uh, the speculation is over. We we know now that the, the event has happened, and I wanted to bring John on to hear firsthand what his perspective was on to the show. So, John, thanks for coming, and welcome. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks. Well, first off, we missed you. I'm not just saying that as lip serves uh, the Tops Q&A, which we usually both attend uh, with you not going. Uh, I looked for you. I knew you weren't going, but I still just by nature, by habit kind of look for you uh, and we missed you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. I had, a, I had a couple of people reach out and and say some some similar thoughts after being there the last couple of times, but this year just wasn't going to work out. A little more challenging for me to get to, plus we had some 
Uh, we had put a couple family vacations on hold since 2020 with with COVID, and this summer was going to be an opportunity to take advantage of some of those some of those things. So we actually spent the week up in northern Wisconsin with with my immediate family and um, kind of took advantage of some of those um, some of those vacations that we were looking forward to over the last couple of years. And so uh, family family took priority over over cards this this last week at the national. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and that's how it should be. Right. You know, and for me, my wife got to go. So that was uh, nice. She, she don't care so much about the cards of the show, but she enjoyed the beach and uh, you know, while I did my thing and didn't, you know, saw it at nighttime. That was, that was about it. Well, maybe we can get started with some of those perceptions that, that people were sharing, you know, before the show itself, a lot of people were speculating on what attendance was going to be like at the show this year. You know, last year up in Chicago, after a, a year's hiatus, first kind of big show back on the scene, attendance was kind of record-breaking for the most part, uh, outside of maybe the 1991 show that everybody kind of goes back to. Uh, a lot of people were wondering what it was going to be like, being that it's a little bit harder to get to in Atlantic City. But at the same time, for a lot of the folks like you who are on the East Coast, it's a lot easier to get to. You know, it's it's within driving distance for a lot of a lot of bigger cities there on the East Coast. From your perspective, what was attendance like this year at the National? You know, like you, Mike, I heard all the like, oh, the venue, the city's terrible. You know, I, they don't want to have it, you know. There's never another national in Atlantic City uh, that everyone would be fine by that. Uh, the attendance was was very good. I will say this: you know as well as I do, the national does not officially announce attendance figures, so it's all speculation. But you kind of get you know a vibe, or you you know you go to a couple of them, you kind of you get a sense. I I believe last year Chicago uh, was more attended by how much. We could debate, you know, uh, but I, I think last year Chicago had more people. But that being said, Mike, it was still, you know, for all the, the negative stuff going around about Atlantic City and I'm not going and not in the same terms as you with, with family commitments, but other people just said, I don't I don't like this town or this, you know, it's for, you know, I'm just not I'm skipping this one, so to speak. People people made their way there again. I don't think it was on par with last year's um but again you know i, I don't know that's just a, a gut instinct a gut feeling i think it's interesting and maybe this is kind of what's overlooked sometimes is i would from what i saw and what i observed um online only right i wasn't there i'm wondering if there were fewer people who traveled in from longer distances, you know, um, people who are in my situation or people from other situations, you know, other locations across the country, you had fewer people making that destination trip out of, out of the, this year's national in Atlantic city, but people overlooking the, the population centers that are close enough to drive in. And those folks jumping on board and and coming to Atlantic City for that because it was much more accessible for for so many of those East Coast um, residents that that made up for the number of folks who um, maybe have more of a platform or are more vocal about not coming. Um, the, the more common everyday 
local to the East Coast collector still made it a, a priority to get there this year. I wonder if that's kind of why why it still seemed like attendance was was pretty strong. Yeah, I think you touched on something there. I'm a, I'm a you know New Yorker. It's four and a half hour drive. Um, I know you know for for accent wise, I noticed a lot of New York and New Jersey accents from from folks. So I think they had a lot of people like myself. Uh, drive in uh, rather than fly so you those people had no excuse uh, really not to come unless they had other plans that happened to be the same week uh, I did you know uh, I think a lot of people probably from the west and I don't want to say a lot but probably a, a good size amount of people from the west coast just said you know what I'll, I'll skip a year uh, you know and, and we'll head to Chicago uh, last year you know we can't can't forget to talk about macroeconomics, what's going on uh, in the real world. You know, to fly right now, uh, prices are not uh, cheap. They're at, at really at an all-time high. So for those flying in, uh, you had to, you know, get out the uh, credit card and uh, really uh, they sock it to you. So I think a lot of people weighed those, those financial things and said, you know what, maybe in a year, Stuff will be better economically in, in, in the U.S. and the world. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll be able, it'll be more affordable to make the Chicago trip. I don't want to, you know, speak for everybody, but I'm sure that does cover uh, some of the folks that didn't didn't make it in. Yeah, and I think that goes a long way in, in maybe that idea of why there is still is some rotation about the location of the national, right? Um, being, being the central Illinois guy that I am, I would love it if they went and, and decided that the national is going to be in Chicago every year because selfishly, it's a two-hour drive for me. And, you know, I'd be there every year, no questions asked. But I think that that whole concept of, if we move it around to several different locations, there is a huge section of more local collectors who will get a chance to attend that may not otherwise make that flight and book a full week of hotels and all of those types of things. And so I think, I think there's something to that. You know, you also touched on the macroeconomic factors and some of the, the economy and all of these things that, that we're dealing with right now. It's well understood, and you have talked about it on your show. I've talked about it on my show. We've definitely seen a pullback off of the, the prices that we saw at the peak in 2021 to a, um, a level that's still higher than, than where we were a few years ago, but definitely well off the peak. That led to a lot of speculation about the, the prices that people would see at the national and the attitudes that dealers and both both sellers and buyers would be expressing there at the show. So I know you had been talking about kind of putting your buying on hold for a little while leading up to the show so that you've got your stockpile ready for some things. What was, what was your perception as you talked with other dealers and you yourself were shopping for cards? What were things like from a, a buying and selling perspective this year? Well, it's funny. I, I think, you know, in, I've really slid over. I've always done vintage Mike, as you know, um, but I've really, really, really slid over heavy there in the last year and a half, two years to almost to focus ex exclusively on uh, vintage. Uh, I mean, dealers I thought were over comps, you know, as far as what they were pricing stuff. Uh, I noticed a lot of, you know, showcases had cards without uh, the prices, which I'm not necessarily a fan of. I like, uh, you know, as a dealer, all my stuff 
is priced. I like to kind of look at a showcase and know what the seller's asking for as a sort of starting point. I don't even care if they price it high. At least it gives you a sort of a style, uh, starting point. I'm, I'm sort of a firm believer. If you don't price your stuff, you're, you're probably fall on the high side. Again, that, that's variable. Um, so I thought dealers were still trying kind of to squeeze the most out of the orange, even though, as you mentioned, the, the market sort of uh, corrected itself and, and reset. Uh, people are sort of being stubborn or, or reluctant. Um, you know, as as you know, uh, there's there's sellers on both sides of the table, right? You got all the people uh, with their Pelican cases, Ion cases uh, selling. And, it, you know, uh, I, there's probably more sellers on the non-dealer side of the table than on the dealer side. I heard a lot of dealers, I heard a couple dealers, I should say, you know, kind of frustrated uh, that people were selling uh, their stuff and not looking to buy it. You know, one dealer specifically said, you know, I can't uh, give the promoter cards for my table price. Like, you know, I got to pay for my expenses, food, you know, lodging and, and you know, plane tickets, shipping this stuff here. So I, I did hear a little frustration that there was maybe more sellers than buying. You know, I, I did talk to a lot of the dealers that I've gotten to know, whether they've been on the show or just going to the, the national and other shows. And it really depended who I talked to, Mike. You know, one dealer said it was one of their best shows they ever did. And another said they were pretty disappointed with their with their their week as far as sales go. So you had both sides of the spectrum. It really, I guess, depends on who you spoke to. But, you know, a, a lot of, you know, as, as we've come to know now, a lot of people selling their inventory, you know, in their cases and maybe not as much buy-in as some of the dealers would hope for. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's so much of that comes down to perspective and um, the, the short or long-term vision that folks have, right. Is because I saw a few, few of those similar comments and in, in some of those similar perceptions. And so, yeah, that kind of echoes what I had heard before. One of the other dealers here from Illinois that I know that went out there whenever I saw him make a, a post on social media, it was about the things that he was picking up from people coming to the table and he was excited about it. He viewed that as an opportunity to acquire inventory at a great price that he'd be able to sell. He wasn't worried about just selling it at that show. He was worried about picking up inventory at a great price that he was going to be able to sell over the coming weeks and months. And so he, he appreciated all of those attendees that were coming to sell. Um, and, and I think that's one attitude. I was listening to Mike Moynihan's show and he had mentioned that somebody, one of the dealers told him, I didn't come here to and pay $5,000 for the week to set up to haggle. If you want to haggle, go someplace else. And I yeah. couldn't believe that there was a dealer who was that brazen with that type of attitude of somebody who had money and was looking to buy and they weren't even willing to have a conversation about, about coming off of their prices. And so, you know, I don't know that that's brand new. I think we see that a lot at the national, but, but I was just kind of curious on if there was an overall vibe as, um, a, a buying or selling or just, um, I'm sticking to my prices and I want to get what I can get. Yeah. You, you make a great point. I think there are dealers, um, that really this show is a buying opportunity or even trading to 
trade up and acquire inventory for the next show or their stores, right? We're seeing, you know, many of these stores open up multiple stores, right? They, they're opening their second, third, fourth store. They need inventory. So they're using the national as a buying opportunity to, to stock these uh, additional stores. So I, I, I think that's a great point. Some, some folks, some dealers come into this without putting uh, a high priority on how much they can sell, but Hey, I want to buy some stuff. I want to acquire some stuff and reload. Not only, maybe not only my main store, uh, but my additional uh, stores, my online uh, inventories uh, as well. One of the other things that's often overlooked by some when they when they think about the national and they, they think about it as just a big card show. One of the things that's unique about the national compared to some of the other big regional shows is the corporate presence that exists at the show. Um, last year in 2021, there were a lot of new entrants into the business world of the hobby. You know, I think it was Loop's first year at the show setting up, trying to get their name out. It was, I think, Whatnot had a presence last year for the first time, as well as several other kind of corporate organizations. I was wondering from your perspective on what that corporate presence was like this year. Did you see a lot of other new ups, up and coming um, uh, suppliers, um, marketplaces and that type of thing? Or, or did the, the the typical corporate presence that we saw from the manufacturers and, and graders and all of that, what, what was their um, presence like? Did they kind of expand what they were trying to do or did they scale things down? You know, what was your perspective on that corporate presence side of things this year? Well, I think it's expanded. Uh, there was a couple of companies, quite frankly, Mike, that you or me hadn't heard of uh, that you, if you would have went, you would have been like, what are they all about? You know, Ludex was one. There's a few others. Uh, there was a couple of new grading companies that I've never heard of that had, you know, maybe not a big uh, booth, but, uh, you know, a table, a, a kiosk, uh, if you will. You know, we've, uh, you know, don't get me going on, on HGA. Uh, my thoughts on them are, are very well known, but they, they were there. I was actually surprised to see them. A, a company you mentioned, Whatnot, talk about last year, kind of, you know, jumping into the fray. They literally had like four kiosks and they were, they had a horse race game. It was, they made it like the boardwalk uh, feel. A lot of people didn't like it, said they got too much space, uh, but uh, you get what you pay for, right? They, they, they got out the checkbook and, and wrote a check and, and had that space. Zero Cool had a, uh, a big video wall, like four-sided, uh, playing uh, music, but also uh, highlighting uh, the brands that the, they were coming out with. I didn't, you know, I went by it because it was right near Tops. Uh, I didn't really go in, but uh, they had sort of that, that dry ice smoke and uh, had a kind of a, a cool feel. People, you know, either complained that it was, sort of disco techie or that it was cool because it was different. Um, it didn't bother me. I thought, hey, listen, they're here, like them or not, they're going to promote uh, their, their products and uh, you know, that's how they're going to do it. So, uh, you know, they had probably one of the best sort of different kind of setups, if you will, than your traditional sort of, you know, uh, tables or booths or, you know, with a kind of a, a pop-up tent sort of thing. Uh, you know, four video walls, some, some, you know, 
you know, like I said, smoke and just had a vibe going and, uh, you know, they were busy. So people were, were into what they were uh, doing. Was there anybody from a corporate perspective that you thought you'd see there, but wasn't there? Um, you know, not really. I thought loop, you know, loop has really made strides and, and I think have gotten bigger, but I, I, I guess I expected with them to have sort of a, a bigger presence. They had sort of a, sort of a small pop-up uh, booth. I thought they, you know, and that may not even be them. It may just be, that's all they could uh, get based on commitments and, and that. So I'm not really so much, you know, picking on them. It just may be all the, you know, that was available to them. Uh, like I said, I was surprised to see uh, HGA. Their wild card uh, had a bigger presence. Uh, they had a bigger booth. They had a a sort of prize wheel. They were pretty busy, uh, so they're they're you know trying to stick around and, and make some noise. Uh, Leaf, you know, and Brian Gray, he, who you know they had a bigger a bigger setup. So bigger setups. I don't think you know no one off the top of my head that wasn't there that I thought I'd see, but, uh, you know, uh, the other way HGA, but a lot of, uh, companies had bigger setups in 22 than they did in 21. Was Starstock there? I did not see them submit. There you go. Maybe that's the answer, uh, to the question. So I'm not saying they weren't there. Uh, if they were, they were in a very, you know, maybe in the parking lot or something. I, I don't, I don't know. I did not notice the kiosk or a, a booth. Nope. One of the other things that I've enjoyed in the, the the nationals that I've been to in the past is some of the interaction that you get a chance to do with some of these companies kind of after hours and, and some of the other extracurricular activities. In particular, the TOPS Q&A is, is something that I've enjoyed being able to participate in over the last couple of years getting a chance to talk with some of their leadership team, ask questions directly. It was interesting. The, the first one I went to in 2019, um, it was very open. I live tweeted the whole thing. I was able to kind of record some of the audio of the conversation and, and kind of share what was going on. But then when you and I went in 2021, it was kind of the complete opposite. Before we went in, it was no phones, no cameras, no video, don't live tweet. If you do, you're going to get kicked out of the of the event. Um, curious, did you get a chance to go to the Tops Q and A this year? And kind of what was the general general vibe at the the, the Q and A this year? I did, and you know, it's still same rules, right? No, no video, no uh, no photography. So that rule didn't change. Uh, same premise, you know, first hundred fifty to sign up, so you had to get there and get in line in the morning. Uh, really the same format uh, as last year. Some different things uh, with the cards. Some things that come out of that is, it, they really were, to me, kind of this, this almost come across as two companies. You know, I heard this term a lot, Mike, our Tops family and our Fanatics family. Almost two entities. They didn't say Fanatics family only. It was Tops family and fanatics family and I, that was something uh, I picked up um, you know it, it was Clay Larashi, uh, Kevin O'Neill uh, and a few other people the normal a uh, couple of names I apologize the names but uh, the usual uh, folks that are are there and um, uh, you know they had uh, a lot of supporting so 
at one point they said, Hey, everyone that, that works for cops that's here, raise your hand. And, uh, you know, 20 people raised your hand and they said, they said cops family. And I think they were really trying to send a message that they were still cops. Uh, they were, they were, you know, aligned, uh, and, uh, you know, united and that, uh, they're, they're going to work along with fanatics, even though fanatics obviously, uh, acquired them. In, in past years, there's been, um, some questions that they seem to be very open and transparent about, and some that they pretty much just gave kind of corporate speak answers to. Um, sometimes, you know, they've kind of seemed to brush off input and feedback. And then other times they fully embraced it. Like there's one year where they asked about the opinions of labeling some of the short prints and variations and things on the back of Heritage. 95% of the room said, yes, we like that. Keep doing that. And they've done it every year since then, you know, and, and showed that they're kind of listening to some of that feedback. Did you get a sense of um, the questions that were being asked? Were, were they kind of open and transparent with the answers that they were giving or, or were they kind of standoffish with the, the types of responses that they were providing? I think for the most part, actually, Mike, they, they were open. Uh, one thing that, you know, you know, it always comes up every year right redemptions and that was the one the one thing they sort of mentioned fanatics uh as as tops folks they're like the fanatics transition has sort of eliminating redemptions in mind they want to have very few redemptions if if things in a were in a perfect world they won't have uh any they spoke to uh some brands you're going to see uh come back tops chrome uh, basketball, football. Um, so they, they were pretty uh, open. Um, and, you know, like you said, sometimes they sort of, you know, talked in, in innuendos, if you will. You know, you could read between the lines, but they didn't come right out necessarily and say something. So uh, I thought for the most part, they were fairly uh, transparent. Um, you know, it was a funny moment uh, where, uh, they were talking about, you know, someone mentioned about they've got some John Cena redemptions from from 2015, and he has signed since then, but they still don't have their redemptions. And uh, the top gentleman says that really shouldn't occur. You know, he was honest, kind of fell on the sword, um, and they would, uh, you know, speak to him afterwards and try to get that uh, cleaned up and resolved. And uh, in the doing so, you know, he, he volunteered this. No one asked him. He was one, which I thought was kind of, it was one of the laugh out loud moments for me. As he mentioned, you know, the, dealing with athletes, he says the, the hardest athletes he's ever had to deal with and hopes he never basically has to deal with him again is Conor McGregor. And uh, said, I hope he's not nearby. I could be in trouble uh, <laughs> for saying that. And, you know, got a, got a pretty good laugh. Uh, from the room, but basically said that it wasn't worth uh, for as great of a, an athlete and as, you know, meter moving as he is, uh, it just was pulling your hair out uh, to deal with him. And, uh, uh, it, you know, he's glad that most athletes are not like that. So. so, John, did you get a chance to go to any of the other kind of extracurricular events that were that were going on over the course of the week? Yeah, I went as Val Mars's uh, date to uh, the PSA 
registry, uh, if you want to call it party or, or get together. Uh, Got to say, very uh, well done. You know, uh, like TAPS, as you know, they, they feed you. Um, you know, as you remember with TAPS, they, kinda, they feed you, but they kind of rush you and say, okay, we're going to get started. It's like five, 10 minutes. So you literally got to kind of either house your food or bring it to your chair and sort of, you know, balance it on your lap. PSA did it to me the right way. They, they open, you know, you, you, you go through, sign in, uh, make sure you're allowed to be there. Um, and then they give you a couple of drink tickets and for 45 minutes, they, you know, they, they let you, eat whatever you want, get your drinks, talk to your friends, mingle, move from table to table. Uh, to me, that's the way uh, to do it. And so for 45 minutes, you know, they let you sort of yeah, eat, mingle, do whatever you want to do. And then they got uh, the slideshow, slideshow presentation started and uh, moved very quickly through that. Uh, they went uh, through, gave out some awards, uh, Logan, uh, Ward uh, uh, won one, even got to make a speech about what PSA means to him. And uh, it was just really well done. And then they, you know, they gave you probably, so it was like 45 minutes of open, whatever you want to do. Then the presentation, which was about 30, 40 minutes. And then it was another like 40 minutes of, again, you could go back and, and get more food, talk to your friends, get a swag bag. Then they even, once it was over and people left, if you wanted some more like stands to put your cards in, they take some more. You know, Chris Carlin, who's now uh, there, came to everybody's table, but uh, uh, came to our table, sat down with us and said, hey, guys, you know, what, do you, what, do, what can we do better? Uh, where do we need improvement? And, you know, it wasn't lip service. You know, Chris, uh, yeah. like I know Chris, he, he's, uh, he was, a you know, Upper Deck's going to miss him. I, I told him uh, as much and it's going to be collector's gain. And, uh, you know, he's going to try to fix as much as, you know, I gave him. It's funny, you know, I had a couple of things in, right off the bat. And uh, one, he, one he liked in, uh, in particular pertaining to, hey, if I have a set, whatever size it is, whether it's a 30-card set or a 792-card set, and I want to get it graded by PSA to get on the registry, that price should be lower, right? Uh, it, you know, uh, even at $18 a card, which is now for collectors club members, that's still a, a pricey, especially on your larger set, right? Oh. Uh, and he agreed. He's, you know, I said, listen, the number that sticks in my head is like eight bucks. I mean, you know, uh, if you have a 792 card set, you know, that's going to be, you know, almost 6,400 bucks, 6,200 bucks. Um, still not, not cheap, but at least you can get your whole set graded at 18 bucks. It's even more, more so. And he, he liked that. I know he wrote uh, that down. I joked with him that if he, if he does it, you got to call that the Newman rule. We, we got to chuckle uh, out of that, but uh, he cares. And, uh, you know, I know he's going to go back and, and try to do the best uh, that he can. So I, I thought it was very well done. Um, they got some new stuff uh, coming technology-wise. They're actually going to be redoing uh, their whole IT. They said it will start next week, meaning this week, uh, that it will be a year-long process. So not to look for real 
visual results for about a year, but it's actually undergoing uh, now. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, having Chris there uh, will, will help them. And uh, we'll see. I, I think the grading space is going to get, you know, real interesting uh, here in the next few years. One of the, th I've not been to the PSA event in the past, but from talking with Val and, um, and some of the others that have been there and I, the thing that I think is cool about that event compared to what you hear about some of the other corporate events is that there is a big focus at the event celebrating some of those folks on the set registry um, who and kind of highlighting some of their key customers and people who have embraced the set registry and, and put in some of those things. I think that I, I agree that that is a pretty cool piece of that of that event that you don't see a lot from some of those other luncheon or, or dinner type of things. So I think that's that's really cool. And I would also agree. I, I love Chris and I've, I've enjoyed all the conversations that I've had with him in the past. And I think that he is going to be a welcome addition to to PSA and collectors in general. The focus that he has on customer service and putting customers first, I think that's going to carry through and, and you're going to see a lot of progress and improvement from the, the collector's world from, from all of their, their family of companies. So I think that's cool. Yeah. It, it's funny because you're, you're right. It, it, they seem to celebrate more of their members than talk about themselves. That, that definitely uh, came across. It was more, here's our, our hall of fame winners, our silver level, uh, and it was like really only 10 minutes of here's what you're going to see in the next year that we're implementing. It was really to lift up uh, the people that make them uh, who they are. And uh, so, yeah, I think they did a good job with overall with that. Did you get a chance to go to any of the other events? I did. I went to the collectible, what they call their uh, uh, cocktails and, and cards uh, get together. It's more, that's more of a, you know, it was at the, on the top of the, the Hard Rock Cafe at the, the D.A.R.E. Uh, nightclub, D-A-E-R. That wasn't like those other events like PSA and Tops. That was, you know, hey, open bars, some, some food, and just have some fun and, and talk to everybody. Uh, I got to meet my basketball idol uh, growing up in Brooklyn. It, it, was, it was Chris Mullen. Had no idea he was going to be there or anyone, uh, for that matter, was going to be there. Matter of fact, uh, I was talking to a couple people. Uh, I looked to my right and said, oh, that guy looks a little like Chris Mullen and went back to talking. And so it made me turn back again. And when I looked again, I said, holy bleep, that is Chris <laughs> Mullen. And for me, you know, as a kid, like I said, growing up in, in New York City, uh, St. John's, and, uh, you know, I, I got to meet him and talk. And it's funny, and talking to him, Mike, you know, first thing I said when I shook his hand, like, I know everyone comes up to you and says, they're your favorite player and your basketball idol. And, you know, when I say it right now, it's actually 100% legit. I had my Jackie Robinson shirt on and he, you know, being from Brooklyn, he said, I love your shirt. And I said, well, by the way, Chris, I'm from Canarsie, Brooklyn, which you are as well. Uh, being a fan, I know that. And we literally talked about Canarsie, Brooklyn for about 10 minutes. And I think he appreciated that. Probably when he meets people, all he do is talk about, oh, I love when you made that shot in the Olympics or, you know, and we actually just got to talk about our hometown. So that was uh, pretty surreal 
for me later on. Uh, I got to meet Lawrence Taylor. Uh, that's a whole show uh, in itself. So I, I won't go into a uh, great conversation, funny guy. He was feeling pretty good. I'll just, I'll just say that we, you know, uh, I just joked with him that I'm from New York city, but I'm a Steeler fan. And he just, he said, how the heck does that happen? And I explained to him the whole mean Joe green thing He's all right. I'll, I'll give you a pass. I like Mean Joe. And, uh, you know, he's at one point he goes, yeah, the first time I played the Steelers, uh, John, I sacked Terry Bradshaw four times and I was very quick to respond. That's, that's funny LT. That's the amount of Super Bowl rinks Terry Bradshaw <laughs> has. And he, he, he goes, man, you came back like you were waiting for that. And I'm like, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busting your chops and uh, gave me knuckles and, and said, man, you were, you were quick with that. Good job. And uh, good conversation. Uh, you know, fun guy, at least uh, that night. And uh, so it was, it was more of a, you know, collectible didn't go over any kind of uh, plans or what to expect uh, in the next year at that function, but uh, just a uh, fun uh, by invitation only kind of uh, party and uh, had no idea that's the direction it was going to go uh, for me and, and presently surprised with who I got to, you know, interact with. So no Panini NFT party for you? No, that was out of the budget. Uh, and uh, so either, I guess, you either got an invite or you, you, you know, you backed up the Brinks truck and, and bought your way in. So, and, uh, you know, you know my feelings on, on NFTs. Uh, I'm sure it was more than that. I, I just, but uh, no, I, I, I can't comment on that as I, I didn't attend. Well, you had been like, I, I touched on this earlier and you had mentioned it several times in the, the shows leading up to the national, but you had been kind of on budget lockdown, saving up your, your reserves to, to take to the show, but we haven't talked yet about, were you able to find anything to add to your collection at the show? Yeah, I got, I gotta be honest with you, very like significant cards, but uh, in, in a quantity perspective, I did not buy a ton you know i i bought more in chicago last year in, in in terms of of quantity but i did buy probably what i would call two significant cards uh one was really at the top of my hunting list if you will and it's uh this card here I, I, for, you know if you're not watching wow. on camera but it's uh, a sandy koufax rookie it's uh sgc uh 4.5 and this is on my PC, you know, as I've said on my show and on other, you know, right now my PC consists of like Hall of Fame uh, graded rookies. So this was on my list, but not necessarily on the top of it, but I got this in the same deal. And I sort of package these together to sort of get a better price. And the other card I'm talking about is this one, which is a, a 1948 uh, Bowman uh, Warren Spahn rookie uh, SGC3. So nice. same dealer and just to kind of get a sort of a, a package price, which kind of, I could justify uh, purchasing. That was really my big purchase. I had some $20 cards, some $5 cards, some, some minor deals, but those were the, the two cards uh, of significance. Um, last year, I'm trying to think back. Uh, I got a Jim Brown rookie, um, not Jim Brown, um, Walter Payton uh, and a few other cards along along those lines. So, you know, I always try to go in the national 
to get one or two cards along uh, that list. You know, I recently got the 48 Leaf Jackie, so that dipped into a little bit for sure of that national fund. Hence, as you mentioned, uh, kind of, you know, turning the faucets off and not spending uh, for about 30, 40 days, uh, which I try to do anyway, but it was all, all the more important after that that purchase, which is a larger one, considering it's not for resale. So, um, you know, I don't anticipate another like personal collection uh, that in, in that stratosphere. So I'll have another year sort of the, the save up and, and get ready uh, for the, the national and in, in, in your neck of the woods. And one thing I wanted to add in too, Mike, you know, we talked about Atlantic City and how a lot of people don't like the venue uh and uh you know we we have a new group uh taking over in 2024 uh they're not brand new they're they're actually uh attend the shows and they're you know they're just going to be taken over like much like in the hobby going to be taken over in the sense of the licensing um the rumor is that uh, atlantic city has seen its last uh national so people who drive there or don't have a disdain for that the venue will probably be disappointed by that others that do will, will celebrate uh that if it's true i i i tend to believe it but uh i guess time will play uh that out so there were a lot of complaints i will tell you this too not to get you know going to ramble but you know you remember last year in chicago the internet wasn't the greatest right well it was it was five times worse in Atlantic City. Deal that was one thing dealers were saying they lost sales because the credit card transactions wouldn't go through. One guy said he had to literally lucky he had someone else that he was partners with. He had to leave the building to complete a transaction. Uh the the concession, the food concession at one point was only taking sort of cash transactions until they can figure it out and uh so the, the internet was, was, I will say this though, I was there till Saturday uh, in closing and that was early Friday and Saturday internet seemed for me personally seemed to get a, a little bit better. It wasn't as bad. So I don't know if they turned the switch on, got a couple of hotspots. I'm not a, a internet expert, but it did seem to get a little bit better. I think they got so many complaints. They, they, said we have to do something here this is could be like a, a mutiny so uh but it definitely early on uh wednesday thursday was was terrible like i remember sending my son a text and pulling out my phone later on about two three hours later and the picture i sent him uh it was still said sending so you know it, it was it was it was pretty it was pretty bad any other takeaways or observations that we haven't hit on yet that you wanted to, to get out there that you think are important to share? Yeah. I mean, you know, I talk about on my show, I know you, you talk about right where the hobby is going. I've said the next two to four, three to five years, are going to be crucial for the long term. Uh, I don't, I don't back off that stance. Uh, I still will, will stand by it, but the hobby, you know, the one takeaway I got is, you know, the hobby's not dead. People want to like, you know, put the blanket over it and, you know, say time of death and, and call it. Uh, it, it it's never going to be dead. There's, there's too many uh, people involved. There's too many people 
enjoying the hobby in various uh, different ways. But there's going to be just different varying levels of success at the hobby, you know. And again, the next few years are going to determine what level uh, we're going to be at, you know. Uh, do I see, you know, question I get asked, I'm sure you get asked, will we ever see kind of what we saw, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, that sort of trajectory? I don't know. Uh, you know, it's hard to think uh, that it will, but uh, I didn't think that was uh, possible during a, a worldwide pandemic, right? Yet it happened. So, uh, you know, you, you never know, but uh, uh, we're going to see what the next few years bring. We see a lot of, you know, partnering up with, with companies, uh, acquisitions. I think that trend uh, continues. There's, there's a rumor circulating around the, the show floor, you know, that two grading companies uh, were going to partner up in that fashion. Uh, I, other than the rumor, nothing has, has come out about it more than that. And so, you know, rumors are, you know, happen all the time that don't mean it's, it's true. Sometimes they are, sometimes yeah. uh, they're not. So. Cool. Well, I appreciate you spending a few minutes with me today, kind of sharing some of your thoughts and perspectives and observations about the show. We've we've mentioned that you've got a show throughout this, but for those of you that may not know where or or how to find that, why don't you spend a, a minute here and, and tell people where they can find you and find the shows that you're a part of? Oh, I'll make it real easy, uh, short and sweet. Uh, if you Google Sports Car Nation podcast, uh, most of the stuff will come up. Uh, website, www.sportscarnationpodcast.com. Uh, we do a kind of conglomerate uh, uh, hobby podcast on Saturday mornings and Tuesday evenings uh, called Hobby Highlight that you were uh, part of and uh, where that you were. And uh, that's really it. Pretty short and sweet. So Sports Car Nation podcast uh, and most of that stuff will will, will come up. Well, thanks again, John. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. It was fun, fun kind of recap, and uh, we missed you, so I enjoyed at least recapping it with you. Like the athletes we admire, the sports card shop is changing the game. We're not launching threes, bombing drives, or hitting dingers, but we have built a unique gathering spot for all collectors to trade cards, talk sports, play games, and watch their favorite athletes on the big screens. Yes, we've partnered with Panini, Upper Deck, Leaf, Tops, Fanatics, Pokemon, and others to bring you all the latest in sealed wax and singles. But the sports card shop in New Buffalo, Michigan is much, much more. Our recent expansion brings collectible sneakers, Hot Wheels, and more sports and entertainment memorabilia into the mix. Our new Collector's Cave game room is the perfect place to throw a rip party, bring friends, rip packs, trade cards, play billiards, ping pong, shuffleboard, classic arcade, and Xbox games, all while watching your favorite sport on TV. Visit us at thesportscardshop.com. Follow us on social at underscore sportscardshop or better yet, visit us in person to learn about special events, party packages, new products, and everything we're doing for you. The Sports Card Shop, connecting people, sports, and the hobby around the world. 
Well, it was clear there was a lot of activity going on at the National a couple weeks ago. And as you heard, John got to experience a lot of it. I want to thank him for coming on, giving that recap for all of us who weren't able to attend. I know I learned some things. It gave me some things to be paying attention to in the coming months, both about the hobby environment that we're in, as well as some of the rumors that were circulating. So I hope you appreciated getting to hear a little bit more about what happened at the National this last year. Reach out to me on Twitter at the Mike Summer. Send me an email at waxpackhero at gmail.com. Find me on TikTok and Instagram at waxpackhero. I'd love to know what questions are on your mind and what you think about the show. I'd love to get that feedback from you. That is all I have for you today, so I'll catch you next time. <laughs>